you all right? My name's Paul, I've got autism, and I make random videos about my version of autism, and I stick them on the internet just in case you fancy giving them a watch. Right, um, bit of a warning at the beginning of this one, and that is, I'm going to be very sulky, very down in the dumps, very uh, not a joy to listen to, I think is the best way to put it. Um, so if you think your mood's going to get affected, by all means, skip it. Skip over this one because uh, I don't want to bring you down with me. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to get that out there. But basically what this video is going to be about, it's going to be a continuation from video number 30, the one about the failed workplace assessment because I'm still going through something that's quite big um, personally. And I want to share the story more because, you know, what I go through today will hopefully help someone tomorrow. I don't know, but, um, you know, my head just doesn't feel happy at the minute. And, um, you know, I would, so I would recommend you watch video 30 to know what I'm going on about, okay? But basically, you know, the, the the footnotes of it are, I had a workplace autism assessment. It didn't work. You know, the questionnaire that this person had absolutely didn't meet or match um, the issues that I have within work um, or the things that I need to help me in work. So they absolutely missed each other. And ultimately, I'm in exactly the same place I started, which is with nothing documented in order to assist me in work where work doesn't get affected. Um, and since then, it's just got worse. And because there's nothing documented, there's nothing to refer back to. And I'm doing a lot of work outside of my work role. I've had some of it taken away, but some of it keeps finding its way back to me. And it's just been this everlasting game of tennis, this long rally that we're just never getting to the end of. And my arm has got tired in this proverbial game of tennis, and I can't play it anymore. So that ultimately ended up with me doing a self-assessment or whatever they're called, self-certification um, document to say I can't work at the minute, and they only last a, um, a week. And then I went to the doctor to basically get a sick note and um, depending on where you are in the world, I don't know what they're called, but you know, the form where you basically have a doctor sign you off saying that you're not mentally fit for work um, for a prolonged period of time, or in my case, two weeks. So my doctor has signed me off work for two weeks. And I know why. So the first thing I will say is, is two weeks long enough? The answer? No, not at all. Not one bit. Two months, and maybe we're starting to talk business. But two weeks is nothing. And uh, it hasn't helped. You know, I, I can't feel like I've got separation. I can't feel like I can switch off. I don't feel like I can breathe out. Where I can just forget about work for a little bit. Because I haven't been afforded that amount of time for that freedom. So what I will say is I do understand, you know, that you can't just be signed off because you're having a bit of a sulk. I get that. But also, I think what, you know, and you know, if you've watched me before, you will know how much I despise running to words 
running to cards, you know, running to the autism card or the race card or anything like that. I can't stand it. You know, it should be seen as the person and the person should be heard. Um, but what I have seen is obviously going to the doctor. Well, obviously I've dealt with that at work. I've dealt with the workplace autism assessment, seeing that it is very evidently set up from a very stereotypical, neurotypical standpoint. It's not set up for an autistic person and it's not designed for an autistic person. And if it is, it certainly isn't designed for an autistic person like me. So I suffer for that. And then I go to the doctor and explain my situation to the doctor and they give me two weeks. So I'll break the doctor's trip down for you. So I went in the doctor and the way mine's laid out is you've got like a square room with all the seats in the middle and then there's all the doors around this square in like a horseshoe shape with all the doctor's rooms off it. So you're always right in the middle to, you know, go, go in whichever room you get called to. But then in my doctor's, there's a very small corridor and then there's a small annex. And on that annex, there are six seats, three seats facing three seats. So I get into the doctor's and I check in um, and it was really hot. Doctor's surgeries in the UK are always roasting. They're always red hot. I don't know why, but they are. So, and I had a coat on, a big thick coat, or no, I had a thick zip up hoodie um, because that was good enough to be in the cold weather outside. And I just didn't expect it to be like 25 degrees in the room when I went in. So I couldn't exactly unzip it and take it off because I had nothing underneath it. So I sit alone in this annex because that's where I got sent. And I was all right, just hot, just waiting to be called in. And then this woman came in and she had a baby with her and she sat directly opposite me smiled you know to be pleasant and then the baby started getting a bit of a you know wiggle on and i know this might upset someone so hear me out she just instantly started breastfeeding the kid right now bear in mind my head's not in the game i haven't got patience you know um where I can just brush a few things off. Um, I didn't do anything bad either. That's important to, to get out there straight away. And I know some people are massive advocates for breastfeeding. You should be. It's natural. You should do it wherever you want. All right. Um, and there are those who think that it should be done with a bit more of a respect uh, for others. And I, unfortunately for those in the first camp, I'm in the second camp. Because it's not like she put anything over to hide what was happening. She just let the, she just whapped a bap out and threw the baby on the end of it. Um, so while I can see this and there's only us there and I've got nowhere to look. I can't look at her because then I just look like a pervert, you know, and, I, and looking around the room makes, you know, it makes it very obvious to her and me that there's a reason I'm doing that. And I just think for me to get away from feeling awkward and other people who might feel awkward in those situations, surely, you could just hide what's going on, you know, because when in, you know, people say it's natural, but when do people just, you know, flop the, the baps out anyway, you know, I've got, I've got stuff downstairs. I don't just whap that out, you know, I'd get arrested for indecent exposure, but you know, I'm not saying don't breastfeed your kids, but you know, there are autistic people out there who feel really, 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 uncomfortable about being put in that position where they can't look anywhere, you know? 
I, I remember once, right, I was eating with someone. And when we were eating, like I had two forks and two knives and, you know, the plates were there and the starter came. I grabbed the knife and fork and started eating. The waiter came over and said to me, excuse me, sir, you're using the wrong knife and fork. So I, th I didn't know what they meant. And I looked down, you know, at the knife and fork still on the table and I looked at the knife and forks in my hands. The fork still had four prongs on it and the knife was still a knife, but they were smaller and I should have used the smaller ones to eat my starter with. <gasps> How wrong was I? How pathetic. You know, and I just thought, these people moaning about knives and forks and the order that you use them. You know, so for me to just say, is it all right, you know, to hide your boobs when you're feeding your kids? I don't think I'm asking for a lot. You might disagree. <laughs> Either way, we're all allowed our opinions. Our opinions are not facts. And I will always listen to yours with an open mind. I just ask you do the same. So when the doctor called me in, I was relieved is what I'm getting at. Um, so I'll get into with the doctor and I explained to the doctor that, you know, I'm in an unwinnable situation in work. I need to be off long enough to trigger uh, a return to work interview that is documented because if I don't get that, nothing is ever going to change because I've got to play this game, the neurotypical way. I've got to work it in the same ways that has been set up by non-autistic people because no one cares that I'm autistic. No one's making the consideration, which doesn't impact them, but no one's making the consideration for my autism because they don't understand it. And rather than learn, they just do what they think is right, what they think is the tick in the box, rather than talking to an individual saying, are we doing the right thing by doing this? Because then I'd say, well, that might work for some, but it don't work for me, so you might need to consider an alternative approach as well. But when I'm explaining to the doctor about how I've got to use the setup to still mildly get what I need and to get the change that's required, she just wasn't getting it. She understood why I was stressed. But the thing is, she seems to think, no matter how much I try to get it across, that everything, you know, if they, if they listen at work, I'll be all right straight away. That's kind of it. It's kind of like I've gone off to just bury my head in the sand or hide under the bed and just go, nope, I'm not doing it anymore. Nope, fix it or I'm not playing. Nope. Nah, I tried. I tried hard. Over and over again, I raised the concerns time after time. I ran to the right people and said, this is not my job. And they listen, but a couple of weeks later, it all goes back to the way it was. And I don't like that. You know, I'm not a politician. I don't do politics. Politics doesn't work. If it did, it wouldn't be as old as it is and as broken as it is. It doesn't work. So it's not going to work in work either, is it? You know, and as much as there is a very obvious answer of what to do in work, nobody's doing it. So how's that going to help me? I don't know. But when I'm trying to get it over to the, to the doctor, the doctor's kind of just hearing that I just don't want to do that because there's a problem in work. Rather than hearing that this problem has broken me to the point where I can't even turn emails on 
can't. I can't interact with a single human being from that workplace without making me feel like I need to run a thousand miles in the opposite direction. And a lot of artistic people quit their jobs when things feel bad. They just quit. But I don't have that freedom because I've got a house, you know? But, you know, would I like to? Absolutely, because I know exactly how they feel. You just need to get away from that situation because everything is always, there is a problem. Can we fix it? Yes or no? Yes. Right. What do we do? And let's get it done. But in this scenario, it's, it is that. It's, is there a problem? Yes. Can we fix it? Yes. All right, don't then. But don't expect me to feel like everything's all right. Because it isn't. It's still broken. We can all put our head in the sand. It doesn't stop it from being there, you know? It's literally like the grown-up version of going, I can't see you. That's exactly what it feels like. So there's still a problem. I'm still affected by the problem and I've got two weeks off work. Is that problem still going to be there in two weeks? Yes. So how am I going to feel 1% different? I'm not. I can't switch off. I can't relax. I can't unwind. I can't forget about work because this isn't just taking a few days off because I just need to recharge. So when I talk to the doctor and I'm trying to explain this, the doctor then tells me about her daughter who's 14, who's autistic, but she can't be diagnosed for autism until she's an adult because of the type she's got. Um, she's also dyslexic. She reads a book a day. Um, her husband is a teacher. He's autistic, but he's never been diagnosed and he, he doesn't want to go down the diagnosis route, but he's definitely autistic. And I'm thinking, well, that is great, but it's got nothing to do with me. And it took me nearly a week and a hundred phone calls to get this appointment. You know, let's, let's, let's focus on Paul for five minutes here. So what's basically happened is the doctor leveled with me and said, she can't sign me off for any more than two weeks for a mental health concern without being seen to do something about it. So in two weeks, I've got to go back or well, not this Tuesday, coming the Tuesday after, the 11th, I think it's the 11th of uh, November. And I have to pick one of these two options, either CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, or I've got to go on medication. Now, let me explain why they're both a problem. One, CBT. For CBT to work, you have to be not sure of who you are. You have to be not sure of the decisions you're making. You have to be making decisions which are detrimental to you. You must be living a way that is detrimental when there is a better solution out there. For CBT to work, you must be not able to notice things which will benefit you. I don't need CBT. I'm not doing things wrong. There is nothing I do that is, apart from eat, I eat far too much. <laughs> Um, but there is nothing lifestyle-wise I do detrimentally on purpose. There isn't. I've taken all the time in the world, especially since being diagnosed with autism, to make sure I know who I am, to make sure I take time for me, to make sure I do things so I'm all right first, not detrimental to others, to make sure I'm all right first, to recharge if I can. Why do I do what I do? I need to know. So I've taken the time to try and dissect that the best I can. 
So what I don't need is to sit there watching an online video of someone basically saying, take 10 minutes after you've read your emails to decompress. Take time, go and have a cup of tea. Don't do, you know, don't respond to emails straight away. Make sure you definitely break for your lunch so you can have that switch off because that won't work. I don't get the switch off. If I need to answer those emails across my dinner time, then I need to. Otherwise, I won't be able to focus on eating. I'll be too stressed and bothered thinking of those emails because they've got to be responded to. You know, I've mentioned to the doctor that when I'm off, I have to check my emails every single day. And she said, I do the same. But then she was also trying to tell me to change my behaviors. <laughs> so no, CBT won't work for me, unfortunately. I know it is needed and it does work for others. I'm just not in that camp. And medication, I never wanted to take medication. I, this is why I try and do what I can to starve off the need to take medication. And this is not because myself, this isn't because Paul is just low, no matter what's going on in his life, that he has no other way of picking himself out of this, that he might need some assistance, and that assistance will be in the form of medication. It isn't that. I have a work problem that can be fixed, but people are just not fixing it. So why should I? take medication to create a different chemical balance in my brain to fix that, to try and not care. What if I don't care anymore? I need to care. I like to care. That's why I do these. I care about you. I care about people with autism. We've got no one else to listen to if we're kind of on the same wavelength. I want you to hear about the problems I go through to hopefully so you don't have to, so you can avoid it before you even get to that point. I care about that. I care about people not dying in fire, which is why I do the job I do. I take longer to do the reports because I want to be thorough. And what if I don't get the freedom for that? Because my mind just starts to block out a little bit of that care. That petrifies me. I don't really want to take medication. Because once the work situation's fixed, if I get another job, I'll slowly start to feel better. If this problem completely went away on Monday, I'd start to feel better. So I don't need medication because it's a situation I feel. It's a situation that was created and I'm responding. And, you know, I just, I just need it to go away. <laughs> I don't want to take medication, but what I'm getting at, you fantastic people, thanks for sticking in if you're watching, but I did warn you I'm going to be sulking is when I go back on the 11th, I've got to make a choice. Do I have CBT or do we have medication? But either way, whichever one I have, if, I, if she says, you're going back to work, you've just got to have one of these, then I'll have to quit, which will make me even worse because I can't do that at all. I can't do someone else's job when it's an, a specialism, you know? I've got a specialism. That's a specialism. The two don't line up. That person can't do my job and I can't do their job. And it just needs to go away. It needs to be fixed. And I don't want to take medication. I don't want CBT, but I've got no choice. Have I? I've got to pick one. 
I've got to pick one of them. And yes, I could pick the medication and just not take it. <laughs> you know, I could easily say, all right, I'll take the medication, but you're going to have to carry on signing me off because I feel no different. And until this medication starts to work and I genuinely tell you I feel different, I can't go back. And if the doctor's like, yeah, that's fine. He'll be like, all right then. <laughs> and maybe I'd pitch it a good old college try while I look to either leave for a new job or work fix the problem. But like I say, I could just not take the medication and drag it out and pretend. But what if one day she goes, right, let's take a urine sample. Let's check your levels. And I know the problem with the medication is to check your serotonin levels. That's by blood. I hate needles. I don't want to have to do that. You know, it's, ah, it just creates problems because I have to live and abide by the neurotypical way that the doctor's surgery is set up and the way they have to look at you and what they're expected to do per ailment. And it's just unfair because it's not being considered from an artistic perspective. And I know I can't stay off forever, but I want to stay off long enough. So the problem is identified and fixed, not just identified and then given back. And I'll tell you this, my, uh, again, you're fantastic. I don't know if you're watching, but well done if you are. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I would watch a video of someone pouring the heart out, but it's not seen as cool, is it? Yeah. Let me tell you why it's a problem. It has obviously brought me down. You might have picked that up. But I went off work, not this Wednesday, the Wednesday before. So we've had a good few days. What are we on now? Seven, nine. We're probably on day 10 of me not being in work. Now, because my mood is in the toilet, the gloves come off with eating. It's like takeaways every night. You know, there isn't even an ounce of considering another food where it just might not be as nice as a takeaway, but it is better for me. There's none of that. This is literally a case of I'm eating whatever I want. I'm drinking whatever I want. You know, I've had uh, gin and beer this week in the week. I don't drink in the week, you know, and because that turns my mind off a little bit, it starts to, with every beer I have, the slower my mind gets. And it feels great, <laughs> but I can't obviously drink uh, every day. That's not good for you either, but the food's bad. I'm eating bad foods and I know I am and I'm waking up every day fatter because I look at a cake and absorb the calories, you know? So the plan was to get, I've got a rowing machine and I keep it in the garage and it's folded up. It's in a corner. It's not been used since I moved to this house. Like, I don't know two years ago or something, however long ago it was. I'm crap with time. It could have been 10 years ago. All right. I just can't put much thought into that at the minute, but it's been in the garage and not used since. And I've been saying to myself for 10 days, get the rowing machine out, clear a space, set it up, oil the chain and just give it a go. Day 10 today. And day nine, it took all day to just connect two pieces together and oil the chain. It took all day and it was on my mind all day. You know, for the first week, I told you in the last video, I didn't shower. I didn't cut my hair. The hair's cut now. All right. So I'm back to being nice and bald again. And it's great when it's this length because no amount of wind can pull this hat off. because It's like Velcro. But it took till day nine 
to connect two pieces of a piece of equipment together that don't weigh a lot and oil a chain, which just involve pulling it out and just squirting it down the chain. So if I take nine days to do that, and then today, today I got out of bed half an hour later, I got on the rowing machine with the intention of nothing. I told myself today, just sit on it, put your feet in the holders and pull the chain once just to let your body know you can do that if you want to do that. So I gave myself a no goal and I got on and I had no time limit because I took the batteries out of the display screen to tell me, you know, how far a row and the time and all that, the calories you burn. I don't want to know anything at the minute. And I just, I just sat on the rower, pulled it until my back hurt a little bit. And I've got a bad back anyway. Um, and then I got off, I came in, I showered, cut my hair. But what I'm getting at is that took 10 days to do, to lie a piece of equipment down, connect it and get on it. So is my mood great? No, it's on its backside, absolutely on its backside. And all I could do for myself was tell myself, so long as you do anything, it's better than nothing. And that's what I've tried to do, and it's taken 10 days. But on the 11th of November, my doctor seems to think it's all right to send me back to a national job where I consider buildings where I make the decision on whether they will be suitable and sufficient to for people to survive or escape in the event of a fire. But it's just taken me 10 days to uh, get on a rowing machine. And it took me seven, eight days to get in the shower. I'm clearly not right, but I'm being judged in a neurotypical way for an autistic mind, which is not having a great time at the minute. All right. So, yeah, I'm very confused. I don't know what the outcome is. I don't know what I'm supposed to say with the CBT or the medication. I don't know what I'm supposed to do if, I'm, if I go back to work because I can't. I'm in a no-win situation and uh, I wanted to tell you that because I won't be the only person who will ever end up in this situation. And even though this story won't help, we're not at the finish line yet, are we? There is always a finish line. and I. Just wanted to update you on the journey because not all journeys are good. You know, this is kind of a, are we there yet journey? You know, we've still got a long way to go. And um, I just wanted to keep you updated and show you that artistically, you are going to end up in some traps in life that are neurotypical. And there is a no way that you can find the answer where you might benefit. Um, but like I said, this isn't all doom and gloom. This is just the journey we're on. There will be a finish line and I will win. I will. Just as you will, if you feel like this ever. It's just finding what it is that you can draw that line and say, I have now won. It'll come. It'll come for me. It will. I have faith. Faith in that. Faith in me.
someone has to. <laughs> All right. Thanks for watching again. Sorry it was boring. Um, I'll update you again as we go through because this is a big journey and I've got a massive decision to make. Um, but until next time, enjoy your weekend. Thanks for watching and keep smiling.